everyone and welcome back to another episode of Sensational, the special educational needs podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the educational health and care plan, better known as an EHCP. And I'm delighted to be joined by Simone Mattington, our partnership manager, who's a bit of an expert when it comes to EHCPs. Simone is going to be talking us through how to obtain one, the different stages and some tips and tricks for parents who are listening to this podcast today who are looking for a bit more advice and support. So Simone, if you'd like to give us a little bit of an introduction about who you are and your work. Hi Molly, um, yes I'd love to. Um, so as you uh, you quite rightly stated there, I'm employed as a partnerships manager for the Witherslack Group. I've been with the company for nine years now. Um, partnerships manager, one of my main responsibilities within the role is to work closely with local authorities and parents and obviously our schools to appropriately place children and young people that have special educational needs within our provisions. Um, it's a tricky it's a tricky role, um, getting the right balance and making sure that we're able to appropriately meet the needs of, of these young people. Um, on a personal level, I'm mum to four grown-up children now, uh, one of whom has autism and ADHD. Uh, reached the ripe old age of 29 and is doing really well, but struggled through his childhood, uh, particularly through the school years and secondary school um, with conforming to the rules, being accepted, being overwhelmed um, and just accessing support really. It's you know a long time ago now and, and things have moved on and things are better, but it was a very tricky time for all of us. And I guess that's what led me to, to my current role. Um, I get a great deal of satisfaction from working with our parents and just helping them and advising them through the, uh, the SEN jungle, really, I guess a lot of people refer to it as, um, and giving them that support and, and helping them to find the right provision for their young people. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So, Simone, let's start from the beginning. What is an EHCP and what are some of the main reasons that a young person might need one? So, an, an EHCP is or the official name is an education health and care plan and it's a legal document that describes a child or young person's special educational needs the support that they might need and the outcomes that would need um or, or that they would like to achieve basically an education and health care plan replaced what used to be called a special um a statement of special educational needs that young people used to have in school and the issue with um, the statement was that it only covered education. Mm. An EHCP now obviously covers, as it says in the title, education, health and care. And as previously stated, it is a legally binding document and it's owned by the local authority and issued by the local authority. In order to get an education and health care plan, the child has to have special educational needs. Mm -hmm. It's a long and lengthy process and there are a lot of things that need to go on before you can apply for an education and healthcare plan. A child or young person will need an education and healthcare plan for a range of different needs. It can be purely behavioural, but those behavioural issues will have a root cause. There can be diagnosed needs, uh, common things like ADHD, autism, uh, attachment needs, lots and lots of different things that will bring us to a point where a young person needs extra support. So the idea around an education and healthcare plan is 
that if a child's in in school and not they're not making expected progress in line with their peers mm-hmm. and they need additional support over and above what the school can offer, then that's generally when an education and healthcare plan would be applied for. Right. And so would a child with dyslexia or dyspraxia need an EHCP? No, not necessarily. Um, and in fact, a child with special educational needs might not need an EHCP. When, when a child or a young person is in school, there's a process that they would need to go through before an EHCP could be applied mm. for. They would need to come under the SENCO in the school, the special educational needs support area in the school. Yeah. And they have a process that they have to follow. And, and in simple terms, we call it assess, they assess, plan, do, review cycle. Yeah. So a young person may be struggling in school for lots of different reasons. They might not be keeping up academically. They might be uh, unable to be in a classroom and, and around. There might be sensory issues going on. The SENCO working alongside parents would be sitting down and discussing what those needs are. And it might be sometimes that you have a parent that's identifying needs and school are saying, well, actually, we, we don't think that there's anything wrong. So there's a lot of to and fro and it's a very lengthy process um, and actually quite frustrating for parents that have quite often been on a long journey up until this point with a young yeah. person at home. Um, so if, if additional needs are identified in school, The SENCO would do an assessment. They would look at what their needs are. They would then make a plan. And that plan would be, what are we going to do to support those additional needs? They would then do the plan or carry out the plan. Mm. And they would then review it. So it's a cycle and it it would be, there's no timescales to this cycle. That would be determined by the SENCO, obviously, you know, in line with parents and and regular meetings and things like that so it may be a case of we assess we set a plan and we say right we're going to run run this plan for three months Mm. and at the end of that three months we're going to review it if the plan's working we carry on and that plan runs so that child won't need an EHCP if things are working and and they're meeting the, the child's needs if at the end of the cycle they assess and realize that this child's still not making progress. They go back to the beginning of the cycle and they reassess and they say, right, we need to change things and we need to do things differently. So they then do another plan. They carry out the plan and they review the plan again. And it may be that eventually this assess plan, do review cycle Mm -hmm. has exhausted everything that the school can possibly do. And that child is still not making progress in line with their peers um, and the school can't offer anything else. And it would be at that stage where they could apply for an EHCP. It's very much evidence-based, so the school would need to keep all of the evidence um, of everything that they've carried out. Uh, Parents really should be keeping evidence as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And then an EHCP can be applied for at that stage. Right. So when when you say evidence, is that literally written, like a written-up document to, to say how the school supported the child? Yeah, they will. Um, children that um, that are going through this process in school should have what they call an IEP, which is an individual education plan. Um, and that document should be evidencing um, what supports in place, what the needs are, um, any evidence, anything that proves what's been done. Um, it can be conversations, but obviously it's much better to have documented evidence uh, that yeah. you can present if you need to go through the EHCP route. Right. Okay. 
And the next question is, so we're, let's say we've got past that stage, we're looking to apply for EHCP. Is this what we'd call a draft EHCP? No, we're not at that stage yet. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. The first stage of an EHCP um, is a needs assessment. A parent or the school needs to apply for a needs assessment. And this is the part where they would assess whether or not a child actually does need an EHCP. Right. So the assessment would take place um, over a, a period of time. And we can talk about the time scales um, a little bit later. But they would apply to the local authority for a needs assessment. Mm-hmm. The local authority um, obviously has a right to say yes or no, that they're, they're going to assess. And at that stage, parents do have a right to um, to appeal. So if, if a local authority says, no, we're not going to issue an EHCP or a draft EHCP, the parents do have a right to appeal at that at that point. Right. So so that, in terms of timescales, that's week zero. There is a legal time frame for education and healthcare plans, and it is 20 weeks from start to finish. So start is when you apply for a needs assessment, and finish is the issuing of the final EHCP, which also will name the school or type of school that a young person should be going to. Um, So the needs assessment um, process should carry on for six weeks. The local authority, sorry, uh, at week six, the local authority should be starting the needs assessment. Mm. The local authority will gather evidence and information. So this is where it's really important to, to document as much as you can and to be able to provide that evidence to the local authority um, and they will get that from uh, from the school from parents carers um, and obviously would be looking at what's needed uh, what that child needs so at week six the HCP needs assessment starts as I've said it's a lengthy process and that can go on for about 10 weeks mm. At week 16, the LA will then decide whether or not it's going to issue an education and healthcare plan. Right. They need to put this in writing. The decision needs to be put in writing to the parents. And as I stated before, the parents have got a right of appeal if the local authorities say, no, we're not issuing. If they do decide to issue the plan, from week 16, they've got four weeks to issue the plan. And that's the final plan. So that takes you up to week 20. But in the meantime, they have to issue a draft plan. Right. The draft plan needs to contain all of the information, the support needs for the young person, who's going to provide that uh, support. Um, and the draft plan needs to be produced and sent to the parents, as I say, at week 14. Right. The parents have got 15 calendar days after receipt of the draft plan, to make representation to the LA um, about the contents of the plan, to challenge anything that they don't agree with. Mm. Um, They can ask for a meeting with the LA to discuss the draft plan. And they need to tell the LA the type of school or college that they want their young person to attend. The draft plan cannot legally contain the school. Right. School is named when the plan is finalised at week 20. Okay. Okay. So that's it in a nutshell. There's obviously a lot more to it. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that go on. There's a lot of professionals that need to be involved in the EHCP assessment. Um, 
so the local authority have to consult or, or liaise with certain um, professionals in mm. order to, to get the information that they need for the plan. And these include people like educational psychologists, they need to um, liaise with the school or college, the young person, the parents, carers, social care, um, health professionals, so that all of those people can contribute to the contents of the plan. Yeah, so to sort of provide more evidence. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. the evidence and it's the assessment. So those assessments are likely to take place um, in the school. So, for example, an educational psychologist would assess a young person and provide a report which will contribute to the plan. There may be um, other professionals such as occupational therapists for sensory needs, uh, speech and language therapists for speech and language needs and all of those people will produce a report and that report will will contribute to the contents of the plan. Right so would say if, if a child was in a mainstream setting which obviously they're most likely to be at this point so would would the school have to get the psychologist occupational therapist into the school to do these assessments? The, these assessments so the LA are responsible for um, for arranging these assessments ah, right. um, but they will generally be done um under the, the the umbrella of the school right okay and we've, we briefly touched uh, touched on then about um naming the schools so as we know obviously that's such an important topic for the final part of the ehcp can you tell us a little bit more about what everyone needs to know about naming the school and what they should do before requesting um the name yeah i think the the most important point is that ultimately the local authority do have the final say in what school is named in a young person's plan or the type of school they have to take on board the wishes um, of the young person or the parents and carers and they have a duty to consult with the schools that the parents and carers are requesting i think the best advice that i can give to parents is to do your homework um, during the process where things go really quiet with an EHCP, where mm. there's lots of things going on in the background, that's the ideal time for parents and carers to start going out and um, and doing the homework. So I think in the first instance, um, look on. So every local authority should have what we call a local offer on their pages. And that local offer should contain all of the information about the schools and colleges within that area, um, the types of schools. So there's lots of different types of schools out there. We've got your um, mainstream schools that most mm -hmm. parents and carers are familiar with because that's where the majority of young people start their, their school life. Yeah. So we have mainstream schools. We have um, special schools, so specialist provisions, and they might be maintained or they might be independent. So a maintained school is one that is is comes under the local authority. It's one of their provisions, basically. Yeah. And an independent would be exactly that. It's an independent school. Um, you are within your rights to request a special independent school um, if it's you know, if it's deemed that a young person does need special education. And it's, it's worth pointing out that just because a young person gets an education and healthcare plan, the majority of the, those young people's needs can be met in a mainstream provision yeah. with the support of an education and healthcare plan. And every young person does have a right to be educated in a mainstream setting. But for some young people, that's just never going to work. 
it's mm-hmm. not the right setting for them and there is a need for special provision. Um, so I think it's really important to do your research if you can on the internet and places like that speak to other parents and carers if you can of children with additional needs about what sort of support they get in those schools um Mm. speak to the senkos also visit schools i think that's actually the most important thing that that you can do i speak to parents um on a daily basis that come for, for for look around our provisions and what's really important is you read lots of lovely things about a school, but until you walk into somewhere and see the young people engaging in lessons, see how staff support their needs and get a really good feel for the place, I think, you know, it's just crucial that that's a part of the journey, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, so say, let's say that your child's got an EHCP and they've decided to stay in a mainstream setting what but but yeah they've decided to stay in a mainstream setting but then they've just then obviously let's say it's not worked out what would happen then say if they've decided to stay but then they've they've then later realized that they need to go to a special school okay so are we talking about a young person that's got an ehcp yeah yeah okay so an ehcp basically has to be reviewed or legally has to be reviewed every 12 months Right. And at that stage, the local authority can do one of three things. They can either uh, maintain the EHCP as it is and um, the child continues with the EHCP, stays where they are, um, Mm. and then they review it again in 12 months. They may decide to amend the EHCP. So there might have been some significant or, or even small changes to the child's needs in that 12 months that everybody's in agreement with. And those amendments will be put into the plan and that will be updated for another year. The third one is that they decide to withdraw the EHCP. So all of those decisions can be appealed. In the event that you've got your EHCP and five months down the line, there are significant changes Mm -hmm. and things are really not working out at the school. The first thing you should be doing is, is talking to the school about what those changes are, what your concerns are, and what can be done about them because quite often it might be that school just needs to make some changes and things can be addressed within the provision in the event that they can't then you have to call an interim or an emergency early review of the ehcp that can be parents can call that the school can call that and actually the la could call um the review as well so all all parties involved can at any time call an emergency review if it's needed so the review would involve the parents carers potentially the young person um the local authority and the school and Mm -hmm. you would sit down you would discuss what those needs are if it's clearly not working and it's felt that special education is needed then at that point they can start looking and consulting with specialist provisions the local authority have always got a duty um when it comes to decision making to to look at what they call effective use of resources and um you know initially it would always be that they would look at their own maintained special provisions to start with um and then obviously if, if for whatever reason they're not suitable then you, you, you potentially can go down the independent route. Right, okay. 
So one of the biggest transitions for children is going from primary school to secondary school. So for children that are currently in primary school with an EHCP, how can their new secondary school continue to support them? So any ch any child or young person that's transferring to a new school, um, especially with an EHCP, it's really important that that we go back to what we just discussed there about doing your homework and, and making sure that you are looking at the right types of provision for um for, for young people. Interestingly, when we talked before about young people with an EHCP being able to quite often being able to be supported in a mainstream school. I tend to find that a lot of young people that have managed in mainstream with an EHCP, once they get to secondary, that's when things can start to unravel because it's a very different environment. It's much bigger. They've got yeah. to take on a lot of responsibility and things can start going wrong. So it's really, really crucial that if at this stage schools are feeling that mainstream secondary isn't going to work for this young person yeah. that parents start considering the possibility that it may mean a, a specialist provision at secondary school mm. so moving to secondary is what we call a phase transfer and it applies to children and young people with ehcps who are transferring be between various stages and it might be that they're going from early years to school or they're going from primary to middle um middle to secondary and secondary to post 16 they are all the different types of phase transfers yeah so in order to transfer the EHCP from one school to another, the LA has to go through a formal legal process and it's known as the phase transfer review process. All phase transfers, I think with the exception of secondary to post-16, must ensure that the plan, the EHCP plan, mm -hmm. is reviewed and amended by the 15th of February in the year that the transfer takes place. So for a young, a young person going to secondary school, that would be by February when they're in year six. Ah, right, yeah. And that's the 15th of February. It's to ensure that if the LA doesn't name the school that the parents want, they've got time to appeal and to ensure that the um, the right decision is in place before the, the transfer in September. Yeah. Um, so the dates that we've just discussed, the 15th of February, they are deadlines that are set out in legislation. So, you know, it's a legal requirement. Right. They have to be adhered to by the LA. Um, and again, you know, these timescales don't often, what's the word that I'm looking for? <laughs> they're, not, they're not always um, practical. As, as practical and timely yeah. as they should be. Um, but it's really important that, that you know, it's, it's as close to that, that timescale as possible. Yeah. Before that happens a review should have taken place of the young person's EHCP and that should take place in the autumn term before the year that they're transferring. So effectively, a child going to secondary school in year seven needs to be having a, a review of their EHCP in the autumn term as soon as they get into year six or sooner if possible. Because there'll be lots of things that, you know, parents might not agree with what's going in the plan. The LA may, might not agree. And these things all take time. Yeah. So it's really crucial that this review takes place. And um, the next step then is for the local authority to consult with schools around about that February time. And again, you know, it may be that it, it is another mainstream school. 
but it may be that they need to consider um, a special provision. I think, again, you really do your homework, speak to the SENCOs in these secondary schools, especially in, mm. in the big mainstream schools. How are you going to support my young person? Tell them about the EHCP. Let them see a copy if they need to and say, look, this is what my young person needs. Are you able yeah. to, to provide this and how are you going to do it? Um, yeah. And then go and visit the school. Have a look at their um, their sort of how their Senko works. Um, it might be that the schools have little sort of provisions within the school for children with uh, special educational needs that, that, you know, sometimes have alternative provisions within the school. Um, have a look at those see the other young people that are in there and ask mm -hmm. about those success stories for similar children you know how have these children managed and 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 what support w was given to them yeah i think that's a really good good bit of advice and so let's say that a child has gone to a special school with an ehcp do they then have to have their ehcp reviewed as you would in a mainstream Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly the same it's a 12 monthly review uh within the special provision and nothing changes you know the the, the hcp is still the same that the, the law still applies in terms of time scales and um and and what provision is offered and who who delivers that within the school so the legal duty is exactly the same in a special school as it would be within a, a mainstream right. so but have you ever had instances where i guess maybe the child's come to one of your schools and they've, they've left because the, the needs have been met and they've have they ever gone back to a mainstream? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We've had some real success stories. Um, it tends to be when we get them younger. Yeah. So the younger they come to us, the more chance you've got then of working with that child because there is no overnight fix for a lot of these challenges that, that young people um, face. Yeah. And sometimes there is no fix. You know, it's, it's about the support oh. that they get in school. Yeah. And having the right support in itself is a fix sometimes because these young people... Um, especially when it comes to challenging behaviours. You know, I've always said that behaviour is a form of communication. Yeah. If a young person is acting out with behaviours, it's because they're unable to communicate any other way that they are, they're struggling, they're frustrated, they're not happy. So coming into a special provision where, you know, quite often, and, and certainly with our provisions, much smaller class sizes, mm. um, you know, we only have eight pupils in a class with two members of staff. Mm. Um, we have uh, a really strong therapeutic um, support within the school. We've got educational psychologists, we've got speech language therapists, occupational therapists, you know, talking counsellors, that, 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 that kind of thing that we've got in school um, enables a young person to have all of their needs met under one roof. Yeah. And quite often things do turn around and you know we're having a review and we're saying actually we're not seeing these behaviors anymore um you know that this young person is ready to transition back to mainstream but i guess the advice that i would give with that is that any young person that you may be considering transferring back or you know transitioning back to a mainstream setting is to make sure it's done with the right support in place from the right with the right people it's not a case of just removing yeah. them one from one and putting them back into another yeah. um that support is really important for them and would they lose their ehcp at that point nope not necessarily um you know it may be that they still have an ehcp that will support them in back in the mainstream environment um and in fact i think it would probably be quite important that they did still have yeah. additional support for certainly for the um, the early stages of that transition mm. um 
but yeah, the, the the decision as to whether an EHCP is is uh, maintained is lies with the local authority. Um, but there would be no reason why they wouldn't transfer back to a mainstream with an EHCP yeah. still in place. Right. And I think that brings us nicely to the end of our podcast. So we like to end our episodes with signposting parents to some great resources for further reading and education. So, Simone, what are your go-to websites when it comes to EHCPs? Well, um, I think the two that, that stand out the most for me, the first one's obviously going to be the With a Slack Room website. It's, um, you know, yes, I'm biased, but it is a fantastic resource um, for parents, carers, professionals as well, and young people. Um, mm-hmm. There's everything on there from uh, support packs to webinars to um, we, ho- we hold events, face-to-face events, um, you know, online events. Um, it, it just is fantastic. And there's a lot of support there from everything from Senkos to our clinical team to, you know, people with some really, really sort of years of knowledge um, giving out some fantastic advice. So always have a look on our website for um support and if we can't support we can signpost mm-hmm. um i think one that i really do need to mention is ipsy um which stands for independent um parental special educational advice <laughs> they are a group of people um it, it's a charity uh, that that basically support families children parents through the sen jungle and it is a jungle um you know, we hear it so often that parents get overwhelmed by the legal jargon that, that that's thrown mm. at them on a daily basis. They don't understand what it means. They don't understand what their rights are. So Ipsy has a website um, and it has a full section on the EHCP process. Mm-hmm. It goes right from the start, right the way through to the final issuing of an EHCP and which sections you can appeal which at what point you can appeal um you know all the information about tribunals um they even have a section on there with model letters uh, mm-hmm. and these letters range from um a letter that you can send to your local authority if they refuse to uh, carry out a needs assessment for an ehcp uh, if they refuse to issue a draft um if they refuse to consult with your school of choice, if they refuse to name your school of choice, they've got every model letter on that website. Um, What they also do offer is a telephone service with some free legal advice. Um, And it's just a starting point for a lot of parents just to chat to somebody that that knows the ins and outs of the legal side of things. Um, So yeah, really good resource. Um, There's lots of support out there. There's, you know, I always say as well, being a parent myself of a, a young person with uh, additional needs, that it's a very lonely journey um, mm. quite often. And just getting that support from other parents that have, have been through what you're going through, um, just being able to sound off to people and say, this has happened, you know, what were your experiences? Um, yeah. Sendias is another one. So Sendias is uh, the Special Educational Needs and Disability Information and Advisory Service. Um, they... You know all the acronyms, don't you? <laughs> I've, I've been dealing with these for many years. So Sendias, again, are um, fantastic support for anybody going through the SEND journey. Um, they're there for young people, they're there for parents and carers. They can support through the EHCP process. 
they can support through tribunals um, and yeah they are they're there throughout the whole journey journey for you so have a look on the on your local authorities website for your sendias contacts um, have a look on the ipsy website and certainly check in with us on the uh, the wibbeth flat group website as well yeah definitely and ipsy is i-p-s-e-a it is That's independent right, it? parental special educational advice Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you, Simone. And if you listen to this podcast today, you may or may not already know that we have a support pack dedicated to everything you need to know about EHCPs. Simply head to our website, withersatgroup.co.uk forward slash resources. So thank you for listening and we will see you again soon.